0: MailChimp presents.
1: Ever heard of a customer? You know, it's when marketers group all their customers, regardless of their different behaviors, into one big mess. But with MailChimp, you can use real-time behavior data to personalize emails for every customer, based on their browsing and buying behavior, turning your customers into customers. Intuit Mailchimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands, publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. The Jump is a podcast where I, Shirley-Ann Manson, sit down with musicians and talk about the one song that changed everything. So a few years ago, I was backstage at an award show in Anaheim, California, and the room was completely empty, except for this extraordinarily beautiful woman sitting on a chair in the far corner with her back to the room. Now, I thought it was a little strange. She was wearing a pair of headphones, had her eyes shut, seemed completely lost in her own world. But rather than emitting bad, sort of unwelcoming vibes, there was instead something really powerful and sort of magical emanating from her body. And as the green room began to fill up, Esperanza Spalding pulled off her headphones, spun around faced the room, and then broke into this beautiful, absolutely dazzling, winning smile. And um, we were all completely disarmed, and I was floored right there, transfixed. Esperanza Spalding defies categorization. She's released seven records, including 2016's groundbreaking Emily's D-Plus Evolution, won four Grammys, and is a member of Harvard's music faculty. I'm Shirley Manson, and this is The Jump. Now, to fill whoever might be listening today in with who you are and what you are, Mm. you were basically a child prodigy. I mean, you're a bit of a musical genius. Is that fair to say? I know no, you don't call yourself a musical No, genius. I don't.
0: And I, I feel like I have to clarify the word prodigy because I started in music education very young. I saw Yomai play when I was five on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and I said, I want to do that. And right away, my mother found programs for me to enter into. I was around a lot of other little children who were also learning string instruments, and I feel like sometimes with like particularly musicians of color and like blues musicians and jazz musicians, there's this desire to say like, oh, they're the prodigy. To say like, it just came out of them. Like it just, it just happened that way. And there's a lot of work, and of course, and it didn't just ha- happen. I didn't stand out among my peers, is what I'm trying to say. When I was in a kid. your mind, no, in anybody's mind, right. I was just an average. Five-year-old violin player, then a six-year-old, then a seven, then an eight. And I needed the music more than uh, the kids, I think, because I grew up in chaos. And I think I I ended up doing it more than the other kids were practicing, not because I was a prodigy. I just needed it more. And that kind of led to this passion and affair with the music, which bears that kind of fruit of extraordinary results. And I put in extraordinary time, (laughs) too, you know what I mean? Okay, fair. And also, I am sure because I don't like exercise and I don't like pain. I'm sure that I wouldn't have put in all that time if I didn't really need it. So as much as it was like putting in the work and, you know, pushing harder than other kids were, at the same time it was like saving my life, basically, you know, saving my sanity.
1: And do you feel music still does that? Now? Hell
0: yeah. Hell yeah, it does.
1: Um In the same way or in a different way? Because, I mean, you're so accomplished. You, you really are. I mean... I, I take what you're saying on board, but mm. you don't consider yourself a prodigy. And, and I understand what the implications of that mean. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. So I, I, I take that on board. But you have had an extraordinary career for someone still so young. I mean, you're only 34. You're 34. incredibly young still.
0: Yeah, I feel that way.
1: And you've had this incredibly accomplished career.
0: Yeah, it, it, that's why I had to change my bio, because accomplishment. that, that To me, that sounds like something's done. Ooh, I like it. None of it feels done to well, me. I hope not. Yeah, even the things that already happened. It's like, no, I, I don't want to pin on that. You're like, still hungry? Yeah, I mean, it's just, they. it's like opening doors. To me, a, a project, when you when you manifest an idea, you're like opening a door and saying like, oh, there's something through this door. Check out what I saw. So to me, like accomplishing it feels like, okay, you can see it. Now we're going to close the door. No, that's fair. To you. me, it's like, that was an exploration that didn't ever finish. I just decided to open another door, <laughs> and also there's such an obsession in our culture with like accomplishing things as as um, being the signifiers of somebody's merit. And I'm fortunate to have a lot of musical friends who nobody knows exists.
1: Yeah, me too. And they Absolutely. have no
0: quote unquote public facing accomplishments. Yeah. Also. Just to get real, it's ugly to say, but it helps if you're hot. (laughs) It does help if you're hot. I mean, sorry. Like, we still are in a commodity-based art economy, Mm -hmm. and it sells. But look, you haven't always known what you know now, correct? (laughs) I don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) When you started
1: out as a young woman in the music industry, yeah.
0: How did you see yourself? <laughs> I thought I was everybody's little girl. Did you think you were hot then? I didn't. I, I was so naive. I thought all these people were my dad. I thought everybody was my dad and my uncle. And I thought that they just believed in me and, like, wanted me to win. And that has, that, oof, that is a rude awakening for me, has been a rude awakening. Like, whoa, I'm a product. hmm there are so few people out here who can see through the uh, appearance of, like, pretty lady with the talent that's an anomaly. There's so few people who can see through, who choose to see through or have the capacity to listen through to what I'm actually doing and are my ally because they believe in what I'm doing or what I'm striving for. And I'll tell you, you know, I grew up for better, for, for better, for sure. It was just a rude awakening when I left Portland in this culture of, like, this is for everybody. Like, the fact that we're grownups and know this means that we have to teach it to the kids. The way that I grew up in music, they were all called community music programs. There was the community recreation band, the cultural recreation band. The word was community music. And I could go over to my bass teacher's house, and just hang there all afternoon with his wife and kids and listen to records, and it was a lesson, but it was, like, just living, and you could go jam on Saturday because they recognized that, like, jazz music at that time it's a mentor-disciple relationship. Sure. So I was in this— So when this, did this change for when you? When I left Portland. And uh, where did you go? I went to Boston. I went to Berklee College of Music. There was nowhere to go in Portland. It's not like you're going to have, like, some big lucrative career. So the people in that music, they just— Loved it with a passion, and that was visceral and infectious.
1: Incredible, yeah. You know,
0: the professional musician thing was like a late revelation. I was just, I left home when I was fifteen, and I had bills to pay. And i I remember uh, I worked at <laughs> oh my god, I worked as a secretary at this. It was market research firm, and somebody at my work realized I like jazz, and he was like, "Oh my god, I love jazz too." And it wasn't, if you can believe this, it wasn't creepy. He found out there was another lady at work who liked jazz. We all went over to his house with tapes, blank tapes, and he just wanted to share his record collection because he was that. so excited that somebody else loved the music. So this is like, this was the worldview I left Portland with. Then I got to Berkeley and it was like, okay, you have 30 minutes. This is how much this lesson costs. Oh, if you want to go study with this guy, it's $100. You have to take the train out and don't be five minutes late because it's it's a 50-minute lesson and it's 100 bucks. and if you miss it, you still pay. All of a sudden, it was like this commodity. And I'm, I'm looking at all these, sorry to be crude, but I have to say it, European Americans whose parents and uncles and daddies did not give up their lives for this effing music. Ooh, I'm getting emotional. Talking about give me $100 to find out what I know. Yeah. This is like not a religion in the sense of preaching, but the commitment that it took, the sacrifice that it took the living, the courage that it took for that music to emerge out of the fucking cesspool of of segregation basically in America mm-hmm. and the systematic dehumanization of people of color or anybody who tracks as other, like it's the fruit of that. And here I'm walking to this institution where somebody's looking at me with a price tag on my head, either for how much I'm gonna earn for them in the school or how much I could earn from them mm-hmm. out in the profession. So that awakening of realizing that this new sort of world of men and women mostly men who were kind of like attracted to me it wasn't for community reasons sure, it, it was like was lucrative not. yeah and that took me so many years to recognize and what I did I stopped everything and that's when Emily Z Plus Evolution happened
1: wow okay. it was like
0: a reckoning I was like whoa y'all got me out here earning you don't know what I do like people ask me like, who wrote that and I'd be like hmm I think if at this point, you don't know that I wrote my songs that you were involved in from every step of the way. Like, I don't think I can walk you into this. I don't think I can walk you into what's going on here. <laughs> well, this is an
1: incredible segue because, you know, the, in this show, we are wanting to examine this sort of these pivotal moments Woo! in musicians' careers. And um, I know you were contacted earlier by choosing a song to represent this <laughs> moment. And it was, I, you've picked a really peculiar choice. <laughs> For, a, for numerous reasons. OK. So you've picked I Want It Now, yep, which is sung by Veruca Salt is on the movie Willy Wonka. Is. is Correct. Wonka is. is to lay gold eggs for Easter. It will, sweetheart. At least a hundred a day. Anything you say. And by the way. What? I want a feast.
0: You ate before you came to the factory.
1: I want a bean feast.
0: Oh, one of those.
1: Cream buns and donuts and fruitcake with no nuts. So good you could go nuts.
0: You're going to have all those things when you get home. No.
1: And is a cover version. Is my cover. So I need you to explain to me. I got you. All
0: right, I knew you would. I got you. I want to give it to you all right now. That's oh, the part I love of it. Song. Can you
1: just say that that's one the, more time? That's the part I want to give it to you.
0: I want it now and I want to share it. Um, <laughs> so this, it's the last song on Emily's D Plus Evolution. And it's the last song for a reason, but we'll get there.
1: And of course, Emily's D Plus Evolution was your album released in 2016, right? Where you sort of speak on and sing through the voice of the character, Emily.
0: Yeah, exactly. So just to like connect it to the pivot point. When I decided to stop doing everything, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew this is not a life that I want. I'm not enjoying what most of my day is spent doing. Like I came here into music to play, practice, study, and, like, make beautiful things. So when I decided I'm going to stop everything that's not one of those four pillars, I'm just going to go to those four pillars. And I I left my manager. I left my agent. Everybody was mad at me. No more touring. I, I bought a Volkswagen Beetle. I was just in Austin. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, ah, I just need to play. I need to play with people, and I need to write, and I don't know. And one day, we finished this gig. And I, I remember I went home to my apartment in Austin and I'm lying there and I just saw this character and I heard this whole album of music. I don't want to act like I heard the whole album like in completion, but I heard the sound and I saw how she moved and I saw her hair and I saw her coat and I saw her glasses and I knew that it was Emily and I knew that this had something to do with that spirit, that untethered, joyous, like eff it spirit that lived inside of me that I had actually been repressing slightly To win at what I was being offered by these people who saw me as a commodity because I didn't realize I was just a commodity. Um, Maybe somewhere there's some love and, like, you know, humanistic compassion. Let me be
1: clear. There is not in the music industry. Yeah,
0: because as soon as you step away from the dollar sign, they ain't trying to deal with you at all. (laughs) So, Emily just erupts and I... And I pressed my hair like the next day and I pulled my glasses up. I wore glasses when I was a kid. When my, when people called me Emily, that's my middle name, I wore glasses. So I, I, you
1: were wearing glasses when we met. Yeah,
0: exactly. So in the course of Emily, it's like I found my wings again. Like I found, I found my writing hands again. Like I found it all again. And the last thing that I wrote, I didn't know it was going to be the arrangement of I Want It Now. I actually, all that music, if you took the melody of I Want It Now out, that was a song that I wrote called Tatuba. The whole arrangement. If you took the melody of the song That's away, it. the song is Tatuba. She was the the witch doctor in The Crucible in Arthur Miller's play. Oh, incredible. And I, I remember reading it, she's only mentioned in passing, and I remember thinking, who was Tatuba? like who is she because she's this kind of initiation point that a lot of the ladies who are accused of being witches apparently were in the woods with her doing something she's this african woman who's like knows voodoo and maybe like you know uh, converted the the innocent white girls, white to, girls into to, to witchcraft so i'm like oh who's tatuba so that that music is tatuba
1: Why did you gravitate towards the okay. lyrical content of I okay. Want It Now? Okay.
0: So, Which seems to me totally at odds how I see you. She's connected to Veruca Salt because she's just a product of her environment. She doesn't ask, like ask to be like that. She's She doesn't ask to be like that. You know, like to me, she's embodying all the qualities that she learned from the patriarchy. She's She's the obtuse embodiment of what her father's belief system is indeed but when she plays it out she's a bad girl yeah when she plays it out she's a brat but how how did her dad have all that money yeah. How did her dad have the means to hire a whole world of people to open all the tickets? But that was what I was having a revelation about. But did you connect with this? Like Yeah. It, I connected with it. Of course they as
1: being a, as a as being a symptom symptomatic of this well, environment in which you'd find yourself. It's something
0: in. about we're all products that we're all we've all been programmed by consumerist patriarchy sure you can't help it but you were
1: releasing y- yourself from this I role. was
0: I was trying to and also kind of reckoning with the fact that like the things that I was angry about about my own tendencies or behavior or attachments are things that I had kind of been shamed into being uh um um you know self-conscious about and I, I just always thought about Virgo salt because I that was my favorite song in the movie but then I was like oh I'm not supposed to like her because she's a brat And then I was like, well, actually, hold on a second. That's always how it goes. She's eight. What is she, eight, nine Mm -hmm. years old? Yeah, she's a baby. She's merely... She's merely embodying the values of the world that produced her, but we never question the dad. And and like I don't like brats, quote unquote, either. But in another way, I was like, why the hell can't she have it all? Yeah, like I want it all too. So does every everybody in this story is here for the same reason? They're all trying to get that fucking chocolate factory. But yeah. how come she's the one? <laughs> how come she's the one? You know, that's greedy. That, yeah. They're like, well, mm, that she's she gets flushed. She's spoiled. She's rotten. Blah blah blah. blah. So. I was just obsessed with the song that I had written to tuba and I kind of heard that maybe the melody to I want to now was going to go in there. And then I, I realized that actually Emily is this like eruptive, all consuming, all exploding energy, but it's not, um, it's not exploitative. she. Emily didn't come to like erupt and just burn everybody and then go away. And she won. It's more like erupting something open so there's more space to play. Yeah. So I changed the lyrics in the in the original song that like I want I want to wear it like braids in my hair and I do want to share it because I do want to. It's not about like I want to do this for me and then I get the factory. It's like yo, like let's all just have fun and have everything, but everybody can have everything. I'll be the first one to step out and, and say that's what I want and then let's all like have it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also the thing about braids in her hair because Emily had braids in her hair. So Emily's D Plus Evolution record up to the song I Want It Now is its thing. To me, I Want It Now was like the compass pointing where I was going to go next. So to me, it was like, this is what Emily opened up. I Want It Now is like, it's it's my announcement of of where I'm headed and I, I do feel like, even for me as a reminder, that's some wild shit in that arrangement. And to me, it, it was a reminder, like, I have access. I can I, I want to keep leaning into this area of composition, arranging, exploration. So Emily was definitely an entity that came and went. But that was like the, the parting gift that she left for me as Esperanza to remember where I want to head and, um, and um, how where, I can live. Where did you head? Well, definitely it's a more <laughs> exploratory creating and creating in the zone of like living in danger and just diving and like leaping off in the direction of what i see as possible and i want but bringing everybody with me and we as we leap we create anti-gravity together
1: Esperanza pronunciation. I really do. Thank you so you much for your for your generosity. You're so oh. willing to just get into it, and I love you for oh, that. Thank it. you so much. Oh, thank uh, you for inviting me. No, it's yeah. my absolute pleasure. Um, and I know it's embarrassing when another musician stands <laughs> opposite you and tells you, "I just think you are a, a real precious jewel in the music mm-hmm. industry, and you do your do your own thing, and you're beholden to nobody, and you've really carved your own." musical space for yourself which is incredibly inspiring to watch
0: I will receive that from you Are you receiving it I'm receiving I it I haven't even finished yet. I want the, works. <laughs> I want the whole works. Give it to me now present and present and present.
1: Next week on the jump Courtney Love. In the last few years, I've wondered if I have anything to say anymore. And that's a really gnarly place to be. You know, I'm 54, do I have anything to say? And then I'm listening to Nina Simone and like, well, she had something to say. The Jump is an original series from MailChimp, and I'm your host, Shirley Manson. It's produced in partnership with Little Everywhere, executive produced by Dan Galucci, Jane Marie, and Rushi Keshirway. Original music composed by Rushi Keshirway. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.